Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and we are in a series of Good God that we're calling American Faith, uh, where I'm having conversations with uh, people of different religious traditions in the United States, and they, all of them are local here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, but uh, today, uh, we're going to talk to the Reverend Rizola Law, who is the senior minister of the Northway Christian Church in Dallas, Texas. And Rizola, first of all, thank you for joining us. We're so glad to have you with us today. My privilege, my privilege. It's an honor to be with you. I remember meeting you specifically uh, as fresh fresh out of seminary in about 0203 with a group who was traveling around the country of young clergy and excellence in ministry. That's right. Just come from um, some kind of health challenge, I believe, but we were learning from mega church pastors and how we might be able to soar and not just survive, but thrive in light of what they had to teach us. So well, I'm so glad you recalled that to me. And I, I now remember that conversation too and that visit. Uh, but um, I should let everyone know that uh, you uh, are the pastor of this church here in Dallas. You're part mm -hmm. of a, a denomination called the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, uh, a graduate of Phillips Theological Seminary in Eden, uh, Oklahoma. Is it in Eden? It's in Tulsa, Oklahoma now. It's in Tulsa now. Okay. Yeah. And uh, also studied at Bright Divinity School. Uh, but uh, you've been a pastor of uh, three or four churches, and now here you are in the middle of Dallas in, at this church that is uh, such a presence for ecumenical and um, social justice sorts of ministries, uh, interfaith as well. You serve uh, with me uh, and others in Faith Forward Dallas uh, at Thanksgiving Square. And you show up in Faith Commons uh, settings and in other places uh, in Dallas as we work together for the common good. So thank you for this uh, particular conversation. Uh, I, I, I do want to situate uh, people a little bit as we begin because you are the only other person besides myself in this American Faith series who is a Christian. Uh, and the reason for that is uh, because uh, we, while we have an American legal tradition that includes, of course, uh, the uh, First Amendment that uh, provides for us uh, the guarantee of full religious liberty and legal protections uh, there, thereof, uh, there, there is a sense in which from the beginning the United States has a, a self-consciousness that it is largely a Christian nation, mm -hmm. not legally, but culturally, you might say. And so there are many people who will be having conversation within this American faith series who are other of other faith traditions, Jewish, mm -hmm. Muslim, uh, Buddhist, and Sikh, and uh, others. And, and yet uh, you are part of this Christian tradition. And yet I think uh, as an African-American woman pastor in a mm -hmm. Christian church, you have something to say about this experience of not feeling fully enfranchised 
in your own country spiritually too. Can you can you pick up on that a little bit and tell tell us more? Certainly. I think I knew it, but I would say it was 2009. I was in Israel, Palestine, mm-hmm. in proper uh, with a group, traveled over there uh, for the better part of two weeks. And a Zionist asked us a similar question. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, out of the group, uh, two of us were African-American and everyone else was Anglo. And they were from the United Church of Christ and Disciples of Christ. And they're having this conversation as moderates and progressives do, and they were livid about the treatment of Palestinians and livid about uh, so many of the oppressive pieces happening there in Israel-Palestine. Yet, nothing was really being owned about our own challenges of Christianity, mm-hmm. these yet-to-be United States of America. Uh, and I say yet-to-be because uh, the evidence of uh, January 6th, and just this last year has exposed, as the pandemic mm-hmm. is exposed, so much has been exposed as the roots that there might be some healing. And so I jumped up and I said, wait a minute now, remember uh, who we are and the ways in which we still have a long way to go and how we have created other kinds of walls and barriers and checkpoints and have systematized ways, even in the name of Jesus Christ, where we don't get to experience the fullness, the freedom that Jesus died on the cross for, all of our sins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even that God in the very beginning created the whole world for flourishing, that we have built systems to keep all of the beloved from that kind of flourishing. And so they kind of rolled their eyes. They were like, oh yeah, that part. And so uh, it was in the Holy Land where uh, I was reminded to deepen and to come back and critique um, that. And so that I won't become that which I despise because those who are oppressed, uh, liberation theology teaches us, us, will also oppress. And Mm -hmm. can we open our space, ourselves to more grace, uh, wisdom? Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a sermon I'm working on to unmute ourselves. Because is death dealing. Uh, you raised the point about these yet to be United States. I think in the wake of the January 6th events at the Capitol, uh, we, we've heard uh, two different statements uh, in America. One, by those who would say, this is not who we are. Right. And then by another group that says, this is exactly who we are. And in a sense, I think the first group is being aspirational uh, in saying, this is not our best self. Uh, But on the other hand, that can often be heard by people who have never felt a full purchase on on liberty in in this country, a full participation uh, in their citizenship as being a way of denying the work that yet needs to be done. Yeah. When we have so allowed our faith to be co-opted by nationalism, to believe that our hermeneutic, our lens, our particular real estate on God Mm -hmm. can be so commodified and and to think that through it's a superpower, it's a land, this this land and power and prestige and privilege Position has been something 5,000 years plus 
that we keep having these turf, turf wars. And so here we are, a very young nation, mm-hmm. and this experiment that is still yet to be. And I believe it. So I was mm-hmm. disgusted, just as um, disappointed. Mm. When, when we heard... When we heard people in the rotunda of the Capitol mm-hmm. who had invaded the people's house right. and they said these words, this is our house, right. this is our country, we own this. What did you hear they meant by that? You know, I've always grown up in kind of multicultural environments. Mm-hmm. And I'm a middle child and only girl. Okay. And there is something about my siblings that sometimes we will fight and I know they love me. Mm -hmm. They don't know how. I know as the middle child, uh, I think that there's only so much. Walter Brueggemann talks about this scarcity, this theology. Mm -hmm. Right. And as they were talking, I was like, y'all cannot be serious. Mm. Or... And I really know and have experienced that, but for so many of my white siblings, mm-hmm. my white colleagues, right. I was actually on a Zoom call. We had just finished an epiphany service and I was with some, some uh, colleagues from across the country. And I was like, y'all, they have gone in the house. They thought I'm in my house. I was like, no, go to your TV. <laughs> right. In the Capitol, they're in the people's house. That's right. So it is, that's not of God. That was not of God. Right. Even though they had, however, we think about God, mm-hmm. there has to be something in our guts that lets us know there's something that we can come into some commonality about that. God is right. God is mercy. God is kindness. God is justice, and none of that represented that. And that no, was, I, you know, I, I I've been saying to people about our faith as Christians yeah. that. Um, one of the ways to test whether you are authentically representing the gospel of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. is that if it's not good news for your neighbor who right. doesn't believe like you, yeah. then it's not the good news of Jesus Christ. That we have fallen into the assumption that this good news is somehow it belongs to us. And that it creates a kind of tribe that we are, that we need to protect somehow. And that's what seems to be happening in this country right Mm -hmm. now is a a mentality of Christians who think that it's necessary for us to protect ourselves and to win over against other people who are our neighbors. And uh, I, I think my sense is that when, when people talk about the church in America today, there are a lot of people who feel excluded who are part of the church in America. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, we, it was almost an entirely white crowd of evangelicals that marched on the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there, there are a lot of black evangelicals even who are saying, wait a minute, that's not us. Right. You know, don't just say the church. Don't just say Christians. Don't just say evangelicals. Sure. You know, and, and, and so if we are not including mm-hmm. 
uh, everyone else in this, somehow this makes our faith, I think, questionable in itself. Yeah, it is, it is a digging into the faith. Uh, as a disciple, we really have a theological spectrum. And, and I happen to pastor in a predominantly white church, but that is also diverse. And we also house, and part of my staff, uh, we have Latina church, ex pastor um, who uh, also we work with. And so, and journey as church together. Mm-hmm. So in this theological spectrum that we have that are disciples, this particular brand of Christianity, I'm clear it's only a part of it that there's so much more because God's so much more creative. And so part of January 6th, and even before January 6th, Psalm 46 has been a real, um, something that I've held on to, God is refuge. Yes. Very present help in the time of trouble because trouble just keeps coming. A friend's, uh, a friend's post said, so what are y'all preaching? This might be the most important sermon that you preach. <laughs> January 10th. And I was like, don't tempt God and don't Please. tempt people because yeah. these right. sermons keep coming. Um, and and uh, I, I remember from 911 on, just every time we come to this, after the Pulse shooting, uh, after oh. after 2016 election, after the 2016 uh, summer, uh, it's mm. the, and then the pandemic, like these right. Sundays keep coming because the good news still has to be preached. That's right. Lived out. And so I think our faith Back to that piece, our faith is calling us. What I love about uh, the Negro, the African American national um, anthem, is to have hope when hope unborn had died. And as a black woman, I get to come into a pulpit that's 114 years old and a tradition that's over 2,000 years old. And they never would have imagined having a pastor as beautiful as I am. There you go. So that's the liberating gospel. Right. That is the transformative work of our faith and that we get to do it in partnership with other parts of how God expresses God's self and the beloved come to know God. And so um, so I, I, I get to have a ball even in the midst. Joy is my resistance. That's my superpower. To find some joy in the midst of strife. To believe that living God loved me. Dying God saved me. And buried, God carried those sins, all of the estrangement far away. But as much as we participate, I say dysfunction, this is how we function. As much as we participate in it, there's resurrection. And so I am a Christian because there is something beautiful and glorious about a God who would come from heaven to earth and to show us from the innocence of a baby where there was no room in the end to make people wait and search to come a year later to bring gifts who don't even believe. Right, right. And then as we celebrate the epiphany of our Lord in this last Sunday and continue to move into, you know, George, to understand that we don't really get to hear anything until we say he grew in stature and favor with God and humans. So we don't get to know really much about right. mm-hmm. the hours until he's 30. And then right. he appears to prove himself. So um, I just, when I even study other religions, I honor it, but I know why I am particularly drawn to Christianity and have said, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, because the way God showed up in my life and I can touch and I can feel and that community that comes up 
Mm-hmm. It draws me to our faith. So behind your shoulder there, I'm looking at a photograph of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, the words I have a dream, of course, are um, his, from his famous speech uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it really was an example of public theology, wasn't it? Sure. Uh, it, it was coming directly out of his Christian experience. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm taken by the fact that that March on Washington and mm-hmm. that, um, that moment in our country's history, there were, there were Muslims present mm-hmm. there. There were Jews present with him. Uh, it, it was not only the expression of the African-American church that was there in that moment. It was a, an, a, a moment of casting a vision for America to live up to and to live into. And I, I think it, it is an alternative to what we just saw at the Capitol. So the, the two visions of America, here is a picture of faith yeah. that wants to claim and conquer in a sense. And here is a, a, a picture of faith that wants to include and expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's extraordinary that both of these are growing out of uh, people who claim the Christian religion, isn't it? It really is, uh, as you think, as King uh, was murdered on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, a place where I've spent 16 years living in Memphis as a pastor. And the energy and going to that space uh, continued to speak to me. I was born five years after he died on the same date. So April 4th is my birthday. So um, so I sit in and have this space but I had the dream was inspired by Prathia Hall. So his yes. and his work comes out of a community. And as you describe, it's a diverse, it's an interfaith community. Mm-hmm. It gets the fullness of not just fight for black folk, mm-hmm. not just fight for poor folk, not fight for just intellectual, but this sense of who we are as human beings. Uh, and the humus, the dirt, the clayness of our lives that needs this communal uh, work together. And then that our faith and our commitment uh, to the principles of nonviolence, our princ- the, to be a principal people. Yes. Well, and I, I think you're, you're raising an important point here about the nature of the Christian faith mm-hmm. that we understand uh, the the, the essence of our faith is that it has to work for the people who are uh, left out, who are sidelined and marginaled, marginalized, who are oppressed. If it doesn't work there, it doesn't work. That it's not an authentic faith. So Jesus in his, in his first sermon comes out quoting the prophet Isaiah and talking about this vision uh, there's, you could say, a dream, right, uh, a, a, about uh, 
the good news being preached to the poor yeah. and the oppressed being set free and the mm -hmm. lame to walk and the, the blind to see and all of this. All of this is Jesus' own agenda. That's not something we heard at the Capitol on January 6th. Right. That vision is not something we heard. And so part of what I think we, we have a charge to do is to speak this alternative, what we believe is the essence of our faith into the larger public square, uh, because uh, we have to take our place among other religions sure. that oddly enough are actually bringing that very message, uh, which to me shames us in, in a sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, I have some dear rabbi friends who I call to be mm -hmm. source, a cliff notes, uh, uh -huh. as I try to really get rooted and grounded and dig underneath all the layers of the stuff. And it really is to hear Jesus' first sermon um, in the Luke text, at least, that he comes out, he comes out um, quoting Isaiah, as you said. Right. Mm -hmm. What was going on in that day? And to hear how God's spirit is upon him and what yes. God is calling him to do then. Right. And asking, what are the prophets? Who is calling us and how is God's spirit being poured out now? Right. We still have good news to proclaim. Poor still need to hear the good news. Right. Prisoners still need to get free. Um, the blind still need to see. The oppressed still need to get to be free. And the acceptable year, well, this year, last year wasn't acceptable. <laughs> this year already, this well, these this last two weeks feel like a year is not acceptable. So we have work to do. And what what beautiful for me, what beautiful sense of God that we don't get to have a um, territory. We don't get to commodify that good news. But that good news was already given in another faith tradition. Yes. Because Jew Jesus wasn't Christian. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it's it's an odd thing to have to say, but right, from time right. to time, Christians ought to rem remind people that Jesus wasn't a Christian, never was, was never, Christian. you know, it's, we, we are Christians, but Jesus wasn't. And yet yeah. uh, that's hard for people to recognize sometimes. Yeah. And so to, to, to really make that connection. And then if we make that connection, how many more connections can we make so that we right. can hear that good news fresh and to discover right. it? Um, I think mm -hmm. it's a great time to be the church. I think it's a wonderful time to be human because if, if January 6th, if 2020 has taught us anything, we need God. Uh, we need each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you mentioned Prathia Hall a minute ago. Um, our, our friend Courtney Pace has written uh, a, a book on Prathia. I'm sure mm -hmm. you've seen it or read it. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I think the, the role of mm -hmm. uh, Black women in the civil rights movement yeah. and continuing on today uh, has, has been a uh, part of the story that has not been given full uh, weight uh, in, in terms of the, the significance of the church. Maybe Stacey Abrams' work in, uh, in Georgia uh, and the role of black women in our electoral process uh, in bringing change 
has reminded people of uh, the, the the importance. But but here here we have uh, a, a woman who is responsible. In fact, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. asked permission of Prathia Hall to be able to use the "I Have a Dream" phrase uh, mm-hmm. because he picked it up from her. Uh, and here you are, part of that legacy, Verzola. Um, Verzola. Now, wh- where does that name come from, Verzola? Yes, I'm a I'm a walking matriarch, so it's Verzola. Uh-huh. Onan, and then uh-huh. so Ver is my mother's name, Virginia. Ozo uh-huh. is her biological mother. All right. Uh, in 2019, at the age of 98, and then Josephine is my dad's mother, who's deceased, and then Nan is my mother's adopted mother, who raised her. Wow. And so I'm literally people, you know, um, in the African American tradition, we tend to say pastor or reverend, and we name that. And in the more progressive uh, mainline Protestant, we call pastor by their first name. I just tell them, tell them to call me. And sometimes they call me queen, beautiful, just call me. Because there is this um, sense that names matter. Yeah, and I, I want people to realize I wasn't being uh, disrespectful. We right. talked about oh, wanting, to, wanting to have you talk about your name before this, this program. Uh, the significance, but I w- but I also wanted people to be able to hear something about the importance of our uh, having respect for uh, for you, say, for instance, as a, a black woman woman preacher, uh, and 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 how challenging that has been over time uh, for people in your role. Where do you where do you sense that is today, and and what kind of progress do we yet need to make there? So I went to school at Jarvis Christian College in East Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, would Texas. Be, I would be invited to preach. And whenever I would go into these small rural churches, I didn't really know Verzola, what kind of, you know, if it was a male or female. Then I get there and they find out I'm female. And they would say, well, now what are we going to do with her? And so some would put me on the floor to preach and, Oh, my goodness. Places that I after I preach, the pastor would say, uh, sis, next time you preach here, you come to the pulpit. But the anointing was on the floor. So I kind of like the floor because it's oh, okay. being among the priesthood. But it is a it was it, it's a gift to be able to be a part of the transformative conversation and to know I'm a womanist, though I don't really like labels because they're limited and limiting. Mm-hmm. So I'm a womanist, which just means that there are a cloud of witnesses, women who go back before we could be ordained, the ways in which the word of God comes. So we know that there were certain women, right? And we know we know Mary Magdalene comes out of a tradition where who gets to tell the story first to help them know that Jesus is alive? It was yeah, yeah. who supported the ministry and who still does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for the women. So there is this tradition of uh, feminist that then expands itself in womanism to understand that the issue is not just gender, it's class, it's economics. Right. And our faith, our religion, uh, Michael Eric Dyson says, make our spirituality act right. And so mm, in nice. I get to yeah borrow from all of the tenets of the faith so we can have this whole sense of beloved as we share Christ with the world and community. So that's, that's, uh, that, that's me and how we have come to these different pulpits. And um, a lot of womanism comes out of the color purple genre. We hear 
Uh, and if you ever watch The Color Purple Read, say, all my life I had to fight. And so there's this warrior piece of who I am and who we are as, as, as women of faith. But I get to do it in a way where there's a, some more grace, um, where there's a little bit more love. And there are parts of the faith that we just not for thousands of years been able to talk about. So this whole world is opening up as we get to now open up the the circle and the gospel wider so we can hear those. Verzola, I want to say to you, too, that while that's true for you and for many people of color and women, Mm -hmm. the healing that this represents is broader than that. And it's true for me as well. So... What happens when we listen to the experience of others, to the biblical interpretation of, uh, of others, yeah. we, we start to realize that we have borne a weight of trying to enfranchise only a point of view that we unselfconsciously have assumed right. uh, should come just from, from people who look like me. Sure. In my social sure. location. Mm-hmm. And that, that has actually impoverished the church. Absolutely. It, 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 has, uh, it, it has taken away the richness yeah. and the breadth and the, uh, the, the, all the diverse voices that are so exciting to begin to hear now, yeah. right? to, to, to yeah. see now. As you say that, I think about the ways in which I learned the first, the, the Genesis account of Sarai and Abram Mm -hmm. and Hagar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The ways in which that story unfolds, the traditional way is Hagar. Right. But this woman who was forced into the situation, they have been now, she's moving and she's begging, please Mm -hmm. don't let my child die. Right. As a black woman, Understanding that how many times, yeah, how many courthouses, how mm-hmm. many schoolhouses, how many medical places how, where black women have had to say, please mm-hmm. don't let my child die right. to systems that were put in place to not only kill the child, but to kill the mom. And so as a black woman getting to, to reinterpret that text and to give fresh eyes, Right. And what does the name Ishmael mean? God hears, right? God hears. Yeah. So there you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, absolutely. So to come back to these texts and a tradition that's rich, but just like any tradition, if it's not healing and not useful, it it needs to be reexamined. Right. Yeah. Well, Vizola, I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. Uh, to share as the representatives of the Christian religion uh, in in our American faith. And I'm so uh, proud to be a colleague of yours in uh, in Dallas and look forward to the work that we will share in in the years ahead. Well, I'm better. Um, I need you. I love you. I need you to survive. So as the (laughs) of Christ and part of the human family, I believe this will be one of our best years yet. Well, let's do it together and involve not only uh, 
just uh, those of us in the Christian church, but of course, all of our colleagues in the rich interfaith community that is Dallas. And uh, I know you, you join me in that. So thank you for being on Good God. Thank you for inviting me. All right. God bless you. Blessings. Blessings. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2021 by Faith Commons.